This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hi, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast uh, with your hosts, Rod and Adam. Uh, this is the podcast from CAF's Think Tank Giving Thought, where we talk about news and big issues of the day through the lens of philanthropy and the world of charities. And this week, we're looking at the role of businesses. Um, so, Adam, yeah, first up, I think we're basically just going to have a quick look at what the kind of argument is for why, you know, you might expect businesses to be philanthropic in any sense. Yeah, no, look, obviously, uh, if we were to start getting into detail about uh, the whole remit of, of this subject around uh, you know, corporate philanthropy and what's the best way for that to work, it'd be a whole series of podcasts. Really, we're going much further uh, above that issue in asking the question, do we want businesses to engage in philanthropy? Is that good? Can they be good? Or are they innately, due to their kind of uh, profit motive, uh, incapable of that? And, you know, what are some of the issues in this? I guess the first point that most people would, would come to is the issue of self-interest. And, it, you know, it can result in some pretty circular conversations, but I still think it's worth uh, addressing. The idea of reciprocity. Is it the case that businesses only engage in philanthropy um, if they think they can profit from it essentially and no matter how indirect those profits are people will always perhaps you know attribute some kind of cynical venal motivation behind it so for example you know a company only uh, engages in in philanthropic activities or or activities that seem to be not not maximizing profit for kind of good pr reasons and as a result of that, that good pr they actually do profit or maybe it's much more kind of it's much more of a long view. So it could be that that companies uh, in engaging activities which seem very selfless and, and philanthropic, but they have a much uh, longer view of the subject, and they think that in the long run that's going to improve a, a, a business environment. So it may be, for example, that a company uh, will. Um, protect the rights of of unions and and work with politicians to try and improve the 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 laws around unionism in a country that they operate because fundamentally they see that as uh as creating a more stable operating environment in the long run even though in the short term that may mean that they get hit for larger wage demands so it's these kinds of reasons so a lot of this um i think is worth covering um Then there's the the kind of a slightly different and much more recent angle on this, which is to say that if you do think that businesses should be good, are there are there problems with that? What does the world look like if businesses if the if the line between business and philanthropy gets blurred, is that a good thing? Uh, and what are what are some of the possible kind of um unintended consequences? So We've seen recently that there are different forms of business and different ways of looking at business with people coming into business uh, with 
um, much more kind of philanthropic motivations, and and that's created some new models. Uh, so yeah, you can probably speak to that, Rod. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's both at one and the same time. It's one of those things that gets written up in uh, you know Forbes and Fortune and management journals and things as you know an amazing new concept. You know, people no longer see a dividing line between business and philanthropy, and they're using these you know social enterprise and impact investing models and everything to combine the the for profit and not for profit motive. And actually, you know, a point I've made quite a lot of times in the past is it's a much older idea than there being a strict division between uh kind of for profit and not for profit you know back in the day there were lots of uh you know individuals who ran companies who essentially saw no dividing line between a lot of the stuff that they did uh because they wanted to make money and also the stuff that they did because they recognized either a kind of religious obligation or a broader societal obligation and quite often you know they use their businesses to do that they use politics to do that and you know they use more straightforward philanthropy to do that so you know somebody like george cadbury for instance mm. who uh, obviously you know famous for making delicious chocolate um but was you know an amazing philanthropist but he he did straightforward philanthropy he also engaged very heavily in political campaigning but he also did things like introducing very radical employment practices. So building model um, villages, you know, not not small model villages, I hasten to add, but like kind of <laughs> planned planned towns for his workers to go and live in. So there's Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth uh, in the, yeah, no, not Bournemouth. That's Born, not a planned Bournemouth community. is not an ideal town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry to any listeners in Bournemouth there, but no, Bourneville, which is a kind of planned workers' village in the Midlands, where his staff went um, and you know the basis there was he did it because he sort of believed that uh, there should be a better standard of life for for those who are working and you know providing kind of not just the basic amenities but also all the things around the outside like kind of access to, mm. uh, to sports and kind of cultural things um, uh, and you know that was philanthropic but it was also self-interested he wanted a healthy happy workforce um uh, and, you know, in the same for a lot of the other things. And there were also, you know, there were kind of other examples of places like Port Sunlight up on Merseyside. Um, Saltaire. Uh, Saltaire, yeah. Um, Tide Salt. And the, up in York, the Round Trees did, did similar things. So it was quite a kind of uh, common approach for a philanthropist to do this, um, to sort of bring the same principles to their business. But you sort of fast forward uh, a long time and kind of the rise of, I think corporatism in particular, um, which meant that the division between the sort of the individual at the helm of a company and the company itself probably got bigger because people people at the helm of large companies then still tended to be employees. So, you know, somebody who's a CEO of a company um, isn't the same as somebody who was kind of the founder owner. Yeah. And so the lines between corporate philanthropy and personal philanthropy became much more um, much more demarcated. And you've got the kind of corporatization of uh, philanthropy in the business world. So you, you now get to this idea where people are finally coming back around to a very old idea, which is combining, you know, profit motive and purpose motive. And that, as you say, is where you see things like the rise of social enterprise. So the kind of application of various different models to the work of charities uh, and even sort of more towards the for-profit end of the spectrum, but we'll still with a social purpose, are quite new developments like the B Corporation, which is uh, a thing that's come in in the, the US, which is essentially a for-profit corporation, but where 
it's a new legal structure that allows you to enshrine a social purpose in it. So it kind of it exists to make money, uh, but it does so in such a way that it is also delivering a kind of defined social purpose. And were anyone else to come along and, for, say, take over that company, they would have to still stick to that social purpose because it's kind of enshrined in, in the, the company's structure. Um, yeah. So there's a whole range of these kind of hybrid models out and there. And interestingly, we're seeing this happen the other way of of, of charities sort of muscling in on uh, some of the things that businesses enjoy. Take, for example, the uh, as we've talked about before, the, the kind of Chan Zuckerberg vehicle. They've essentially chosen a sort of corporate uh, vehicle rather than uh, registering uh, a charitable vehicle because it, uh, they want to avoid some of the limitations placed on on charities. Similarly, for campaigning organisations like uh, Amnesty International, um, some organisations choose to follow a, a, a a corporate model because it allows them greater uh, freedom in terms of their advocacy work. And the question is whether businesses um, becoming looking more charitable and charities looking more business-like, whether that in some way damages the uh, the concept of philanthropy, whether whether it's weakened by these kind of the existence of these blended blended models, and whether we are in danger of undermining what might be considered as kind of older or traditional models of philanthropy. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to say, I think it always comes back to that question of, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, are we just slicing up the same size of pie in different ways Mm. or are we kind of potentially creating a much bigger pie? Because the thing that would always concern me is if enthusiasm for new hybrid models of doing social good uh, was the rhetoric outstripped the reality. So people started to assume that this was somehow better than traditional charity and started to ignore the fact that there are problems, I think, in the world today and probably always will be where people voluntarily giving away money to help other people with no expectation of return is the best way of addressing it. And you're not going to be able to necessarily turn a profit whilst also doing good. Exactly. And that's that's not to say that uh, there are no innate advantages uh, to... Um, some of these new forms of, uh, of of kind of blended approach philanthropy. In fact, it's very likely that at certain stages in the capital curve, that may offer real advantages that couldn't be uh, proffered from either a purely business or philanthropic uh, model. But there is a question whether if all of that money moves from uh, sort of traditional philanthropy into a blended approach, we whether we might lose something. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it goes, it touches on something we've mentioned in a previous episode of this podcast as well, which is that there's there's a an interesting grey area between uh, philanthropy and very long-term investment. So you see this, you know, a bit, I think we mentioned it when we we're talking about kind of Silicon Valley yeah. philanthropists. Well, quite often, you know, quite a few of them are making very big bets on things to do with the future that are sort of seem partly philanthropic, but if they do pan out in the way that they think they will, they'll also stand to make a hell of a yeah, lot of money yeah, out yeah. of it. So, you know, there's definitely some enlightened self-interest there. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's an, a number of financial institutions that are looking in sub-Saharan Africa at trying to kind of onboard uh, poor people, particularly in rural areas, into financial services. And they are not going to make money out of doing that in, well, any time soon. But potentially uh, that kind of philanthropic investment may 
look like a brilliant piece of business uh, in generations to come. So, yeah, exactly your point. Um, yeah. So we're going to move on in the next section. Uh, we're going to be actually looking at businesses in the context of, of development uh, and in particular around the sustainable development goals. Big issue, the sustainable development goals or the global goals. And big is the right word uh, in terms of the likely financial connotations. So there's been a number of different estimates as to how much uh, it will cost to deliver the sustainable development goals. Um, the one that I've seen used most often uh, and is in some of the UN documentation is $1.4 trillion. That's a, that's, that's a lot of money. That's trillion. That's a big number, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, clearly, with the best will in the world, philanthropy can't do that. Philanthropy just does not have that kind of scale uh, to to kind of mobilize one point four trillion dollars. Um, so, and neither do neither does government aid. Um, and as a result, uh, I think in the kind of looking uh, in looking at financing the sustainable development goals, uh, the UN and and the various different parties that played into advising uh, decided that they needed to build on uh, what was in the Millennium Development Goals, uh, uh, an attitude of kind of just compelling governments to fund this and look out into other sectors. And in the um, Addis Ababa financing uh, agreement, they did just that, and they, they talked about a role for both philanthropy but also very much for business. So I think this raises some interesting questions about uh, the role of business in doing good, um, because clearly, you know, a lot of a lot of companies have been uh, very involved in the movement and and uh, played in from the earliest point, and through their philanthropy and also through their actions, have shown huge commitment to the uh, sustainable development goals. In some cases, you know, people would argue more than a lot of governments have. Um, but there are questions about whether they're uh, involvement in uh, national partnerships. Uh, there will be vehicles whereby within each country, once they've chosen the goals uh, and the targets that they are going to try and address over the the, uh, the period of 15 years that the goals will run, um, they will pull together partnerships uh, of all different sectors uh, to deliver those. Uh, the question is because of the, the size of resources that uh, – that business can bring to bear and the the kind of authority of government, whether that creates an incredibly asymmetric uh, uh, partnership uh, from the point of view of philanthropy in engaging and whether uh, companies, whether some companies may be motivated to be on side with government for uh, reasons of winning contracts uh, ra- rather than for delivering uh, goals and for kind of trying to hold those governments to account. Um so it leaves it leaves a bit of a question mark, and as we've discussed in in previous podcasts, um, this um, there's a group of countries um, who lobbied uh, in the course of the Sustainable Development Goals for uh, you know for some things to be excluded. So a lot of stuff mm-hmm. around human rights uh, and and civic freedoms, um, and they have very much. Uh, 
been on the side of, uh, of 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 encouraging business to play a big role, and there is a concern that uh, they will see development as the development of the business environment rather than the the kind of a broader conception of of uh, social and socioeconomic development that includes everybody. So there's a question here about what what business what business's role in development is if it's uh if it's not just the development of the business environment and whether there it's possible to get them to see development outside of that yeah i think this is really interesting because i suppose the, the you know the the fundamental question for me about this stuff is um you know if if you could put in place a framework that kind of dictated a set of shared goals which obviously you know, the sdgs or global goals are trying to do and they were the right ones well then kind of you should be pretty agnostic about who it is that's actually yeah. working towards addressing them and, and to be honest it's you know as you say partly given the levels of money that they have but also the influence there's probably a pretty strong argument that actually small changes in the behavior of large companies are going to have a much more determinate effect than pretty much any amount of philanthropy that you might care care to do and actually you know philanthropy's role in all of that is probably around the margins or kind of catalyzing behavior so i suppose my question you know knowing a lot less than than you do about the global goals is kind of do they provide that framework or are there kind of justifiable concerns that either they haven't quite got them right or that there are things missing or that they can be sort of accidentally or willfully misinterpreted uh, so that they don't necessarily achieve what what uh, you know we might all hope they would. Yeah, I mean, I th- it's very different. People have a different answer to that question. I think it's yeah. fair to say that the process of agreeing the goals is both absolutely miraculous, like it's an incredible achievement <laughs> yeah. to get such a, a broad consensus on some pretty radical uh, targets that will be incredibly difficult to achieve. But yeah, as is always the case. Uh, the the agreement says as much in what's not included as what is included, and there are some notable things missing um, that are concerning for 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 people who who want to see a kind of a really uh, plural and open set of goals that uh, that are inclusive of um, of the kind of most aspirational uh, human rights uh, agendas possible. Um, now. It's worth saying that you know there were businesses that were involved in this conversation and were pushing governments to be more aspirational. And you know the the yeah. list of companies uh, that uh, were that signed up to the UN Global Compact is uh, you know a real should be a real source of pride for the business community. I think it would be absolutely wrong to suggest that all businesses kind of engagement in the SDGs is is somehow venal. I don't think that's true at mm. all. I think a lot of companies see it as a an opportunity to to do something good that makes working for their company feel great uh and yeah. and gives them yes it may enhance their reputation but it's possibly about more than that. But there is a question about whether the in the long term this conception of businesses as not only aiding to to uh, aiding development um, through their CSR or, or or through their contribution to economic development, but actually having some leading role in 
in sort of deciding how that development uh, is manifest and to be part of the kind of uh, an official partnership that put into place, whether that creates a smaller role for uh, civil society groups and philanthropy uh, yeah. and, and as to whether some within business will see it as, as an opportunity to kind of uh, get closer to government uh, and to be less kind of critical about uh, actually what's going on. Yeah, I think... That sort of leads us uh, fairly neatly on to, to the last section. I think we're going to talk about uh, you know some work that you've uh, been doing, Adam, looking at how businesses actually can play uh, a much uh, kind of deeper role in terms of supporting human rights and, and kind of the right of, of advocacy in countries outside of the framework of the SDGs often. Okay, so... We're going to be discussing a report that uh, CAF uh, put out uh, last year in 2016 called Beyond Integrity. So this was a, a report that we were able to do with the uh, the help of some uh, students from the London School of uh, Economics uh, on their master's programme. Um, now, the report looks at whether and how businesses uh, have been able to side with civil society in instances where you would think it made absolutely no uh, logical sense for them to do so uh, in terms of their kind of profitability. Um, we wanted to look at examples where businesses had, had kind of done things that seemed sort of selfless in defence of, of civil society and actually look at the story the stories behind them of the kind of individuals and companies and, and organizations uh, that made this happen and how those decisions came to happen you know what was it that motivated companies to do this so one of the examples that I thought would uh, be really good to talk about here was uh, uh, the case of Pakistan in 2012 so the government there wanted to introduce a uh, URL blocking and filtration system. So we've seen a number of different countries institute these, China being a very prominent example, where the government wants to essentially edit the internet uh, so that the range of websites that you're able to access uh, is limited. It's a question of uh, limiting um, freedom of information and freedom of speech, essentially. Yeah. Um, Particularly humorous cat videos, for instance. That kind of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much the focus, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would say so. Um, so once it was seen that this was going to happen, a uh, Pakistani uh, civil society organization called uh, Bolo Bai um, issued petitions against IT uh, companies to try and persuade them not to bid for the contract um, which had been tendered by the government to, in to kind of implement this uh, uh, URL blocking and filtration system. They got in touch with the uh, uh, Business and Human Rights Resource Centre who were able to uh, help them with drafting letters to directly contact um, the IT companies that they thought may be uh, tendering uh, in the process. And this is where it gets really interesting because WebSense, Cisco, Verizon... Uh, Sunvine and McAfee all publicly issued responses and signed a letter saying that they wouldn't bid for what would be an extremely lucrative contract. Now, they have no responsibility to not bid for this, and they would have known 
they would have known fully that by not bidding for such a contract, they were opening up more of the market to their competitors. And yet they publicly stated that they would not do so. And we, we found that in the, in the process of this, we had another three case studies as well in, uh, on completely different issues in uh, Cambodia, in Thailand, and in Angola. Um, where there was a similar story where you, you kind of saw leadership uh, within companies where they they saw that the kind of they had an enlightened self-interest in the kind of long-term uh, rule of law uh, and uh, and freedoms which make a an enabling business environment and they tend to be the same things that create an enabling environment for civil society, you know, kind of rule of law, uh, absence of, of corruption, political challenge, uh, freedom of speech, all these kind of things tend to tend to be shared. And, and so I think this is an example of, of how businesses doing good in their own enlightened self-interest can often be in the interests of civil society as well. Yeah, and I think they are fascinating uh, examples. And I suppose it shows that sometimes, you know, there's a danger of falling into caricature when it comes to kind of portraying the motives of businesses or the relationship between them and civil society. And actually, you know, it, it can be much more uh, complex and nuanced than that in a really kind of inspiring way. I suppose, you know, there, there's a question about whether this behavior represents the tip of an iceberg or whether the organizations uh highlighted are kind of the exception rather than the norm yeah. but it definitely shows what is possible the the danger is that you're in in talking about these these cases you're you're seen as of whitewashing um the yeah. negative things that companies do but that's a real it's a real problem for encouraging good corporate behavior because you know what you see a lot of the time is a company will do something truly good in one context and the immediate reaction will be of uh, uh, you know media outlets to say, "Well, look at what they did in this other example. Uh, that's a hypocrisy." And that's yeah. that's I suppose that's fair. But at the same time, if you can't reward good practice, then it gets very difficult to kind of incentivize good practice. If if yeah, every absolutely. time you try and reward it, people will bring up. Uh, a, an example of worse practice no i think that's right and i think you know on the specific question you raised there about um squaring off the you know the potential good that that can be done through corporate or kind of individual philanthropy in a business context and some of the criticisms of the way in which the money has been made in the first place i think that's an issue that we're almost certainly going to come back to on a on a podcast in the not too distant future um, but I think that's probably uh, us for today. So um, it just remains to say, you know, if you've been interested in any of the stuff we've been talking about today, if you've got thoughts on, you know, things we could be talking about or doing better, then drop us a line at givingthought at cathonline.org. Uh, and as ever, we'll put links to plenty of articles and reports linked to all of the stuff we've been talking to in the show notes. And other than that, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.